Welcome to Houseplant Homebody. I'm your host, Holly, and I'm here to tell you all about my favorite thing, plants. You ready? Thanks for tuning into the 13th episode on August 4th, 2020. Let's discuss the drop-dead gorgeous hibiscus. And this is just a reminder that you can find more on houseplant-homebody.com or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, or YouTube at Houseplant Homebody. All the social media links can be found on houseplant-homebody.com as well. And don't forget to join me on Patreon for exclusive podcasts, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. Let's dive in. So we're going to do this a little bit differently this time. Usually at this point, I would pull in a perennial plant to talk about, and I'm still doing that, but I am actually including the perennial, the shrub, and the tropical hibiscus. We're going to be talking about it from a Midwestern perspective. So we're going to be talking about the hardy hibiscus, the tropical hibiscus with the crap ton of colors that you find at nurseries during the summertime. They look like little shrubs or mini trees. And then we're also going to talk about the shrub hibiscus, which is also technically called Rose of Sharon or Althea. So we're going to be talking about all those. And we're going to start by talking about the Rose of Sharon. So all the hibiscus that we will be talking about come from the Mallow family, which is actually called Malvaceae. It also includes little leaf linden trees and even basswood trees. And since it's the mallow flower, a lot of times the Rose of Sharon or hibiscus in general is known as the mallow flower or I've heard it as swamp mallow before as well. So that's kind of a perspective on the family a little bit. But the Rose of Sharon particularly has a Latin name of hibiscus Syriacus. And like I said earlier, it's also commonly known as Althea. And this one is also commonly known as the common hibiscus. So the Rose of Sharon is classified as a deciduous shrub. The actual stem of the plant does not die off in the winter, just the leaves drop. So that's why it's considered the deciduous shrub. It does have a beautiful bloom in summer. Depending on the variety you're getting, the bloom time changes a little bit, but they range from pinks, blues, purples, whites, and a lot of them are bicolored too. The center of the flower is a slightly different color or a different color in totally than the outside of the flower. And they have trumpet-like shaped flowers. And sometimes they come as double flowers, which basically means that there's a lot more petals than just like a single rim of flowers, if that makes sense. That's not technically correct, but that's the best way to describe it in my mind. There are also some that come with variegated leaves, which are gorgeous. Most of the varieties that I've seen, at least here in southeastern Wisconsin, just have the green leaves. But I know there's one variety called Sugar Tip Gold, which is a proven winner's variety that has those variegated leaves. And that one has like a light lavender flower, almost pink. Really pretty. So these usually bloom a little bit like mid to later growing season, summer to fall. And they open up during the day and kind of close at night. And the flowers don't last super long and they don't look great 
right after they're done blooming, they kind of want to die off. But the actual plant itself has a ton of flowers that bloom all at once. So the shrub has speckles of that color all over it when it does bloom and it continuously blooms as well. Most varieties grow pretty large, so I would make sure you're giving space for these. Usually they're growing between 8 to 10 feet tall, and the width is about half of the width. So if you're looking at an 8 foot tall plant, you're looking at about 4 feet wide, maybe a little bit more than that. There are dwarf varieties, and there are actually cultivars. I know Proven Winners has a couple of them that are upright growers. So they're very, very thin. They get tall and thin, which is perfect for like a border plant or a thin hedge that you're trying to accomplish. These plants do come in a shrub form, just a multi-stem shrub, leafing and flowering from the bottom up. But they also come in grafted tree forms as well. So it's basically just the shrub sitting on top of a tree trunk, kind of like a lollipop look. Granted, these are a little bit more of an upright grower, but still the same concept. As the shrub form, these could potentially create a really cool hedge. I know there's a place in Kenosha I've seen before. I think it's called Sundance Kennels. It's right on Highway 50. They have a huge line of Rose of Sharon that's gorgeous when it's blooming. I believe a couple of them died off over time, but they had a really, really big hedge of them. So they can create a big, long block against your neighbors or noise or whatever you want. They don't completely block out whatever you see. So just keep that in mind. They're not super thick like an evergreen would be or something like that, but they still create a really nice hedge for the space that you need it to. If you want to create the hedge, I would probably plant them between two and three feet apart. That way they'll grow kind of into each other and they'll give you that coverage that you want a lot faster. And the Rose of Sharon grows kind of at a medium rate. They'll grow about a foot to sometimes two feet a year. So obviously that can change and help with the amount of fertilizers you're using or the types of soils you're using. So that's just kind of estimated. On my website, houseplant-homebody.com, I will put variety names that I have worked with that I know of um, or that I have seen in other places. Proven Winners has a lot of varieties that I have used at the garden center I used to work at. And First Editions has some really cool ones too. First Editions has ones like, um, they're called Bali, Hawaii, Tahiti, and they have really bright, vibrant colors. And First Editions is created by Bailey's Nurseries. The Rose of Sharon is native to Eastern Asia, so China and India, and typically their hardiness zone is between 5 and 9. From where I sit in southeastern Wisconsin, they're actually right on the edge of hardiness. So like a couple years ago when we had those negative 20 degree winters, a lot of the Rose of Sharon didn't make it through that because it was too harsh of a winter for them. If you want to plant it in a zone 5, I would make sure that you're planting it in an area that might be a little bit more protected. And in winter, I would definitely protect the root system because that is typically what causes a shrub or a perennial to fail in the winter. If there's a huge fluctuation in the temperature of the soil, then the root system can't stabilize itself through the winter and it causes it to die. So if you want to put either mulch or even if you have like leftover leaves from fall just to cover the root system through the winter, that would really help the plant as well. For typical needs and care for this plant, we're going to talk about the sun requirements first. Basically, 
just put it in as much full sun as you possibly can. They bloom the best, they're going to leaf the best, and they're just going to look the best if they're in full sun. They can handle a partial sun, like a partial shade or like filtered light, but typically they won't bloom as prolifically. And that's kind of said for a lot of full sun shrubs and perennials. In regards to watering, it needs to be kept evenly moist. I'm not saying let it sit in water all day every day, but I'm saying that's going to need more attention than your drought tolerant plants. So especially during the midday afternoon hot sun, you might see the plant and the leaves wilt a little bit once, at least once it's getting established. So you may want to water it a little bit extra during that time once it's getting established, but just check up on it. Usually this plant will tell you when it's stressed out, which is nice because then you don't have to guess. Because I remember in the nursery, if it was a really hot day, usually we watered at like five in the morning and then like again at seven o'clock at night. But during the middle of the day, we had to water them again because they were so stressed out. Granted, they're in pots. They don't have a lot of soil to retain the moisture around them like they do in the ground, but they'll definitely tell you when they need it. In regards to fertilizing, when these are planted, it's recommended that you fertilize them with an all-purpose fertilizer so that can help get the plant established. And it's best to plant this guy in spring because they do take a little bit to actually try to get established and get their root system good, especially since their hardiness zone is on that zone five. If you're in southeastern Wisconsin area, northeastern Illinois area in general, then you may want to definitely consider planting them in spring rather than in fall. That will help them survive through the winter because the root system is already established. And then you can continue fertilizing after you've already just planted them. You can continue fertilizing through the spring and summer to bring out the fullest foliage and the most blooms. And again, it all depends on what fertilizer you're using. If you're just using all-purpose fertilizer that's a liquid or a water-soluble, then you're going to be probably applying it every two to four weeks, depending on what the package says. But if you're doing a slow-release fertilizer, you could be doing it every three to four months. I wouldn't fertilize them much past the month of June, or really once they start getting buds, I would think about stopping fertilizing because you don't want to push the plant to have more growth when it's too late because that could end up hurting the plant. So spring and summertime, fertilize, but after that in fall, definitely don't fertilize them. So some other random facts about the Rosa Sharon. They like a rich soil, so adding a compost or a peat moss will really help the plant's nutrients and it will actually help the plant soak up more of the water and keep that moisture retained where it needs to. Rose of Sharon can tolerate many types of soils, so don't let that freak you out. If you have clay soil, it can still tolerate something like that. I would just recommend, at least when you're planting it, to always use a compost or a peat moss to help amend the soil around it, so that way the roots can get established a little faster. Also, if you're using a compost or a peat moss, I would only use about 30% compost peat moss and 70% of your own soil that you'll be directly planting it into. You don't want to shock the plant and have the root system be freaked out when it gets through three inches of peat moss and all of a sudden it hits solid clay. So you want to get used to that clay along with the peat moss, if that makes sense. Also, for pruning this plant, that should happen. It's suggested late winter or early spring to help minimize the loss of the flower buds or the new growth that's happening. 
I know people that also prune them late, late fall, like right before winter, and that's fine too. I just wouldn't prune them really in spring. Really early spring means like February. I wouldn't go pruning this guy in April or May because you're going to lose flower buds and the potential for more flowers in general. If you do have to prune it, it's probably just for shaping it or rejuvenating the old growth if you have an older shrub because it kind of stays in its own shape. It will have that more of an upright growth. If it's getting too tall for you, then that might be a reason to be pruning it. But beyond that, it kind of holds its shape really well. It doesn't get all wonky like some other shrubs might. And another fun fact about this guy, because of the tubular flowers or the trumpet-like flowers, butterflies and hummingbirds are attracted to these flowers. So you're helping nature at the same time as creating this beautiful hedge or focal point shrub in your landscape. So that's the information I have on the Rose of Sharon. Some of that information is very similar with the perennial hibiscus too, so we'll go into that next. Okay, so the next hibiscus we're talking about, like I said earlier, is the perennial hibiscus, which is also called hardy hibiscus or dinner plate hibiscus because that is how big these flowers are, size of a dinner plate. The Latin name is hibiscus moscotos, which I think I'm definitely butchering that, but we're going to roll with it. These are drop-dead gorgeous, and if you want that tropical look in your Midwestern landscape, go for these. They are beautiful. I actually just planted one in my sister's landscape, and it bloomed a really, really bright red. We used what's called Midnight Marvel, a variety that comes from Waters Gardens, and it is gorgeous. Oh my god, I love it. Similar to the Rose of Sharon, this plant comes in ranges of pinks, purples, and whites usually, and kind of bicolored. Sometimes you'll see flowers that have tips that are pink and the actual plant is white or vice versa. Sometimes the middle is a different color, etc. They also have somewhat of trumpet-like flowers, but they look more like your traditional tropical hibiscus. So they have the stamen in the middle with the pollen on it that kind of sticks out and the flower just opens up like a giant dinner plate would. These bloom a little bit later in the season. So currently, beginning of August, they are blooming. A lot of varieties started maybe a couple weeks ago, end of July. So that's the time they typically bloom. And these have a short bloom time per flower, also similar to the Rose of Sharon shrub hibiscus. So when a flower emerges, it basically emerges and dies within a couple of days, but the next flower is right around the corner. So it keeps producing new flowers. And if you want to try to keep producing new flowers and get it to rebloom, you can cut off those old flowers and that will help focus the energy on the new flowers that are coming in or the new buds that are being produced. So Proven Winners has a lot of great varieties, just like they did the Rose of Sharon. They're called Summerific is the name of kind of the collection. Varieties that I have seen specifically at the garden center I worked at were Cranberry Crush and Berry Awesome. And I do know that Waters Gardens also produced some other varieties like the Midnight Marvel I was just talking about. And I've seen Mars Madness. I've also seen the Starry Starry Night variety as well. And I'll put those again on my website just to list them so you have some idea of what they might be. And the difference between this plant and the Rose of Sharon is that the obviously the flowers get so much bigger, but the foliage is also a lot bigger. And unlike the Rose of Sharon, this perennial hardy hibiscus 
can have a dark foliage, like a red or a purple foliage mixed with green. So for example, the Midnight Marvel I used in my sister's landscape, that has a reddish tint to the foliage and it has a really bright red flower. So it's a good contrast to just solid green foliage when it's not blooming. The hardiness zone on a hardy hibiscus is actually better than the Rose of Sharon. It typically can go down to a four up to a 10, nine or 10. And they are native to wetland areas such as marshes, swamps, or along riverbanks in eastern North America. So anywhere up from Canada to Florida, you can typically find these as a native plant. These also like to be kept evenly moist, which again just means that they don't need to be in soaking water all the time, but they need more attention than a drought-tolerant plant. So you'll need to make sure, especially during the midday afternoon hot sun, you are watering them. I also forgot to mention, these like just as much sun as the Rose of Sharon. So make sure you're putting these in full bright sun. They can handle light shade, but just like any other plant that likes to be in full sun, it just won't bloom as much if you put it in partial shade. The leaves on this guy will also droop dramatically if it doesn't get enough water. So you've seen maybe a lot of people on social media, especially if you follow plant people, everyone's doing time lapses of, for example, their basil plant when they forget to water it for a little bit and it's just sad as heck. And then they water it and just perks right up. These guys will do the same thing. They look very depressed when you don't water them or they're too hot. And if you water them, they'll just perk right up after a few hours. So they're very dramatic, but at least they tell you when they need help. <laughs> In regards to fertilizing, Proven Winter specifically suggests applying a slow-release fertilizer once in late spring when new growth emerges. The hardy hibiscus, or dinner plate hibiscus, is one of the latest starting perennials there is. So typically, you don't start seeing these guys in nurseries until late May, maybe even early June, because they are so late in the season to come around. So if you're noticing in April or end of March, you're not seeing a lot of growth coming back from the previous winter, just wait. I guarantee something will happen. Well, I can't guarantee that, but something probably will happen. You just have to wait a lot longer. It's just like butterfly bush or the same thing. So anything that's considered a perennial that gets really large, like a butterfly bush, obviously this hibiscus and even baptisia, they all have a late start. So just be patient and wait for them. And then by May sometime, you should be seeing leaves come up, but they are really fast growers. So once they get going, fertilize them so that way they can keep going. So the hardy hibiscus, even though it's considered a perennial, it will die back really far and pop back up from the ground. These guys can still get between four to seven feet tall and about three to four feet wide. So as a perennial, that's huge. We actually have a friend in Janesville. Her yard was in the garden walk a few times and she has a line of these along her house. And I just remember being in middle school and they were taller than me. They were absolutely huge and the flowers were bigger than my face. They were so pretty and I was so confused as to why such a tropical plant was growing in the Midwest. But Obviously, I learned by working at the garden center that if you want that tropical look and you want to bring it to your yard, this is one of the only plants that really looks like this that can survive these hardiness zones. So also in regards to the type of soil it likes, it's very similar to the Rose of Sharon. It likes a little bit more of a rich soil. Just make sure if you're using a compost or peat moss, you're mixing it with your current soil to help it get established. But these don't take as long to get established as 
the Rose of Sharon. They're a little bit easier to root and they're a little bit hardier than the Rose of Sharon. So it's not as a dire need to get them in in spring. You could plant them in in summer or late summer as well. If you're planting them in fall, because it is a perennial, I would make sure you're at least mulching the base of it or putting some leaves on the base of it during the winter. So that way it just helps protect the root system. But since they're a pretty cold hardy plant of zone four hardiness zone, they should be good. When it comes down to pruning, since these are perennial, technically they die almost all the way back or all the way back. You can cut them back significantly and they'll pop back up from the ground or at least the base part of the plant. So I would leave maybe the last six inches of the stem intact and you can trim all the way down to that because it's just going to come right back up from the base of that plant in spring. So you don't really need to worry about the giant stems that it produced throughout the summer because it will just regenerate every year. You can cut it back the same time as the Rose of Sharon, late, late fall or winter or really, really early spring if you want to wait till then. But if you do prune in early spring, make sure you're just removing the dead branches. And if you're curious if it's dead or alive, you can scratch the tissue of the branch. And if it's green underneath, that means that part of the branch is still alive. But if it's brown or just tan, that means that part of the branch is dead. So that is the information I have on the dinner plate hibiscus or hardy hibiscus. Now let's move on to the really fun hibiscus, the tropical side of things, or as I like to call them, the houseplant hibiscus. All right, so let's talk about the tropical hibiscus that I like to use as a houseplant. And you see a lot of nurseries carrying it through the spring and summertime as their tropicals start coming in. The Latin name for this is typically either hibiscus senescus or there is a hybridized version called hibiscus rosa senescus. This is typically grown in warmer climates as a woody shrub that can get anywhere from 12 to 15 feet. And as a houseplant, it won't get that big, obviously. But it can get quite large, but you can keep trimming it over time. This plant is something that I had as a tree form, but it comes in as a shrub form. They've cultivated it in a way that it can be um, like three trees braided into different varieties blooming all on one tree. So there's a lot of different hybridized ways that people have reinvented this hibiscus. And I read online that this plant is one that was more man-made and more probably hybridized than any of the hibiscus that we're talking about today. That being said, there are so many amazing colors. At the garden center I used to work at, we had a tropical vendor from Florida at one point and he had lots and lots of variety options and anytime I looked them up online they would just pop up with the different colors. And there's one in particular I remember called Cosmic Dancer. Funny name, but Cosmic Dancer was one that had orange, yellow, pink, and red all in the same flower, like vibrant, not like faded colors, but like vibrant, bright as bright can be colors when they bloomed. It was gorgeous. And I know he had tri-colored braided trees that had yellows and pinks and purples mixed in. And probably the most common colors you found were pink, yellow, orange, and red. 
But I have found cultivars online that are like a dark red, a dark purple as well. So the bright neon colors, the really bright pinks, yellows, and oranges, or a mixture of those are probably the most popular and the ones you're going to find at greenhouses and nurseries. For example, I just went shopping at Milliger's in Racine last weekend and they had braided hibiscus, small ones like in one gallon, and they were... At least the color that was blooming was yellow, and it was just so bright, brilliantly yellow. I almost got it, but I got a really big Monstera instead. So, <laughs> but I did have a hibiscus at one point. I had one probably about five years ago. When I first started working at the garden center, I decided to try the hibiscus because I just loved them so much. And I got a yellow one on tree form, and I had it for probably three years or so, and I didn't take care of it as much as I could have and I didn't really understand what it needed. So I kept it inside the whole time. It was probably in, it was away from a west window. So it wasn't really getting direct sunlight and it just wasn't blooming that often. Maybe it bloomed once or twice and then the foliage just wasn't that thick. For these guys specifically, they like to be at least as a houseplant or if you're having them in northern climates like the Midwest here and you're using it as the tropical plant, as like the houseplant, it needs to be in as much full sun as possible. And warmth is actually more important than sunlight. So if you have it in a bright south window in your house and your house stays at 65 degrees, it's not as healthy as if you put it outside in the warmth in the summer in that south facing area in your yard. So from what I've learned over the years is this is one of those plants that it's best if you move it outside during the summer because that's where it's going to thrive and it's going to bloom the most. It's going to grow the biggest. It's going to have the thickest foliage. If you keep it inside, it's going to be not as big. It's not really going to thrive inside as much. So these plants have a hardiness zone of around 9 to 11. So obviously they're going to have to be house plants. If the weather dips below 50 degrees, I would just automatically start moving them inside at 50 degrees at night. And as a plant that's in a more tropical climate, if you're worried about it, if you're in hardiness zone 9 or kind of on the edge of 9, just like you would here, you can mulch the root system around it and that will help protect it just in case it dips below freezing in those areas once in a while. Now in the tropical climates, it actually needs to be or it should be in a little bit more shade. So full sun could burn the leaves or it could stunt its growth ever so slightly. So putting it in a little bit of filtered light or partial sun is best if you're in those hardiness zones of 9 to 11 trying to grow the hibiscus. In regards to watering, watering is very important with this. The hibiscus needs to have enough water, otherwise the flowers will not bloom, they will not produce new buds. And depending on the environment, especially if you have this plant as a container plant, you may want to water it daily. So if you have it outside on your patio in the summer, make sure you're checking it every day. If you have it as a house plant in your house on that bright south facing window, maybe check it once a week, maybe a little bit more than that. But watering is very important. And this plant does get yellowing leaves. So if the yellowing leaves are near the edge, the outside of the plant, that means that you're underwatering it. 
If the leaves are yellowing near the inside or the bottom of the plant, that typically means you are overwatering it, or it can also mean that the plant is stressed out. So I remember when we got a shipment in of hibiscus from the tropical growers, the first couple weeks, the leaves on the inside would just turn yellow and drop, meant the lack of sunlight, lack of light, and everything they had to go through during transportation was a little bit stressful for them. So just because the leaves are yellowing doesn't always mean it's a watering issue, especially if you just brought that plant home. So when you buy a tropical hibiscus, more than likely it already has fertilizer in it. So you don't necessarily have to fertilize for the next couple months, but you can ask the greenhouse that you get it from or the nursery you get it from to see when the last time they fertilized it is and then just kind of assess it from there. You can use a regular all-purpose fertilizer. You can use diluted fish emulsion, which a lot of houseplants are suggested to use that. You can also use a fertilizer that focuses on the blooms because that is something that is heavy in the summer. It wants to produce the most blooms possible. And actually you want to keep fertilizing the hibiscus. So this plant goes into a major decline in winter, but you don't want it to go into such a decline that it has a hard time getting out of it in spring. So even cutting the fertilizer in half and still fertilizing through the winter can help the plant reestablish itself when it comes back out of your house or your basement. From the winter. So some other facts about this is that they actually have an aphid and a spider mite problem commonly. I dealt with aphids every single year at the garden center and everywhere I went, every garden center I went by the end of the year, almost all the hibiscus had aphids. So if you want one, I would suggest you buy it early. Usually garden centers and greenhouses are able to get the blooming tropicals by the end of April, beginning of May. So I would buy it right away so it doesn't have time to get infested with those. Otherwise, if you're buying them later in the season, I would just double check them if you turn the leaf over, you might see some little white or light brown spots. That's a sign of spider mites or really, really thin webbing. That's spider mites, but aphids, you're going to see little tiny, it looks like white bumps on newer growth or flower buds. Usually there's a lot of them around the newer growth and that's where you'd find them. After you have them in your own yard for a while, I would just maybe hose them down, make sure you're getting all the major critters, at least that way it's healthy when you bring it back inside. In regards to potting mix, there's nothing special that needs to be done with the hibiscus. You can just use a regular all-purpose planting mix and that will do the job just fine. Since it needs more moisture, you don't necessarily want to use a cactus or succulent mix because it does need to hold on to some of that moisture to produce the blooms that you want it to. When it comes to pruning, fall is the best time to do it for the container tropical hibiscus because that's right when it's going into its decline and that's probably the time you're moving it inside or moving it into your basement. You will see a significant leaf drop in the winter and lack of blooming. It could still bloom in the winter, but it might only push out one or two flowers. So don't be concerned because this is normal. So as I said earlier, from what I learned, this is a plant that really should get pulled out onto your deck or your patio in the summer and brought back inside in the winter. That's how it's going to thrive the most and that's how it's going to look the best. So I know people that move it into their basement where there's typically almost no light and it just hangs on to some leaves. It might bloom once or twice and then they just bring it back out onto the porch in the summer and it gets huge and full again. So that's just the routine I would use. The reason they usually put it in their basement, from what I remember, is it's just not that pretty in the off season. So I had the tree out all year and it did 
lose a ton of leaves and it wasn't pretty, but I didn't have a basement. So I had to leave it out, but I would probably move it to a basement. As long as your basement is above 50 degrees, <laughs> which I hope it is, then it should be fine. The hibiscus as a tropical houseplant are pretty resilient too. I accidentally left my tree hibiscus in a three seasons room and I brought it back inside after I realized that it had been in probably 35 degree weather in there, way too cold, and it lost all of its leaves. And probably about a month later, all the leaves were coming back. So if for some reason you accidentally leave it in one frost, it's not going to kill it. It's going to stress it out majorly and all the leaves might drop, but you might be able to get that plant to come back like I did. So that's all the major care and information I have for the tropical hibiscus. Unfortunately, I don't have a ton of variety names because there are so many cultivars and hybrids out there. The only one I really remembered was Cosmic Dancer and otherwise it was just like a normal pink or red or yellow option. There are cultivars out there just based on buying that I can remember that they have dwarf varieties of, you know, your patio plant hibiscus. So just check your nursery and ask the staff there to see if they know of any varieties they're getting in or that they have or that's coming in or are options for them to get. Or if they have a reliable website for you to check out, that would be a way to find out as well. Even if you just type in tropical hibiscus online, you'll see some websites that show you different varieties. And even if you just go to Google Images and type in tropical hibiscus, you will see all the crazy amazing colors that are options out there. It's amazing. So check it out. I definitely encourage you to go look at some images online. I will post a couple that I have on my website. I'll do a couple instead of just one picture like I normally do, just so you can kind of see the varieties that we did get in at the garden center I worked at. Thank you for tuning in to episode 13 of Houseplant Homebody, all about hibiscus. And this is just a reminder that you can find more on houseplant-homebody.com or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, or YouTube at Houseplant Homebody. All the social media links can be found on houseplant-homebody.com as well. And don't forget to join me on Patreon for exclusive podcasts, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. Your support means everything, and I can't wait to continue bringing you guys more and more plant bios and info. Don't forget to check back every Tuesday for more podcasts. From one houseplant homebody to another, see you next time. So I thought I'd pop on and talk to you guys about what I've been up to lately and what my plans are for Houseplant Homebody a little bit. I have been concentrating a little bit on my plants and I was just out shopping the last couple weekends to see what I could find and where I could find it. I didn't go to any of the smaller shops quite yet. I was going to the bigger stores currently and this past weekend I went to Milliger's. And if anyone saw it on my story, my Instagram story, I got this giant Monstera. It's on my Instagram story highlights. If you go to the plant winds section, it's in there. And I was walking through the greenhouse and I was eyeing up a hibiscus. 
which is ironic because this is what the podcast is. Um, I was eyeing up a hibiscus and I saw this giant leaf and I'm like, oh my God, what is that? So I went over there. It was like in the back of the greenhouse and the pot was rough. I mean, the actual monstera plant was only shooting out of like one of the stems out of maybe like six of them that were just chopped down to the soil level. And one of them had three giant leaves. Like we're talking maybe two, two and a half feet long, two feet wide. It didn't have a price on it and it just looked like they were using it and restoring it kind of. So I just kept walking around. And then one of the girls came up to me and asked if I needed help. And I'm like, all right, this is a long shot, but will you sell this to me? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, great. How much? She's like, well, because it's in a nicer pot, I would say $29.99. And I'm like, what? No freaking way. I'm like, sold. I was like, I'll go get a cart. Bye. <laughs> I'm like, get out of here. So I have this giant Monstera and I am kind of happy that I got it for such the price that I did. I really want to know how old it is because the leaves are so big, but I am psyched. I really, really hope I can make this thing thrive and we'll see how it goes. I'll keep posting about it and see if there's any new growth or anything that comes on it, but oh my god, I just thought I'd share that story with you guys. On the perspective of what I'm doing, I just wanted to let you know I am going to put um, some recap information on the podcast online. So I'm going to do like some small, almost blog posts about each podcast. That way, if you want to know the information on the plant quickly or just a quick recap on everything, I can share it in a way that you don't have to listen through the whole podcast again, but you can just go right to my website and I will be working on that soon. If you're listening to this later on, it's probably already happening, but if you're listening to it the first week it comes out or so, I'm probably going to be working on that within the next month or so. And I'll announce it on Facebook and Instagram when I get to it. So thank you guys for sticking on here and listening to the end, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.